0: Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Greetings, this is Rob Hartzler from TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have the honor of hearing from a surgeon who needs no introduction, Dr. Peter Millett, Shoulder and Sports Medicine Specialist at the Stedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado. Dr. Millett, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks a lot, Rob. Great to be here.
0: Today, we're going to be discussing your article from the January 2018 issue of the journal entitled Five Year Outcomes After Arthroscopic Repair of Partial Thickness Superspinatus Tears. We'll also try to bring in your editorial commentary from the March 2019 issue on long term follow up after partial rotator cuff repair. So, Dr. Millett, from where I sit, the importance of good information on partial rotator cuff tears is that they are so common. Give us your thoughts, a 10,000-foot view, on management of this problem for the general orthopedist or the primary care physician.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Robin. Uh, first of all, I'd just like to thank you uh, and the um, Arthroscopy Podcast for inviting me to be a guest today and to speak about this topic, which is, I have a lot of interest in. Uh, arthroscopic uh, fixation of partial rotator cuff tears is a common, can be a common procedure because Partial thickness cuff tears are so common. I mean, if if you get MRIs on patients as they age, you'll see a high uh, incidence of partial thickness rotator cuff tears, whether they be of the supraspinatus, which we're focusing mostly on today, or or of the subscapularis. So the important thing is to figure out which ones are clinically relevant and which ones re, you know require surgical treatment.
0: So, what do you think are kind of the the key pearls? You know, patient comes to you, they've got the MRI, you know, they have symptoms that are attributable to that. Who are the patients that you're keying in for needing surgery?
1: Well, this is one of those one of those types of injuries where I think you have the luxury of having some time to wait. Um, it's not something that needs to be treated emergently. Um, in some instances, we might choose to operate acutely, but in most cases this is the type of injury that I would probably uh, initiate conservative non-operative treatment with physical therapy, uh, perhaps an injection and uh, rehab the patient, perhaps follow them and see how they do. Uh, If it's a deep near full thickness tear and it's a younger patient, then that for me would be uh, an indication probably to intervene a little bit earlier. If it's an older patient over the age of 70 who has a partial thickness uh, tear I think conservative treatment is certainly warranted. If that fails, um, which is anywhere from uh, three to six months, then I think you're looking at a surgical option.
0: Any advancements over the last few years or changes in your practice in, in non-operative treatment of these tears with biologics? Are you are you doing PRP injections for these? Any you know any pearls on that?
1: I I mean I would say. Sometimes, maybe in an athlete that you know has timing issues, um, I've tried to go away from corticosteroids a little bit with these partial tears and even with full tears because of the data that shows increased infection rates, uh, increased re tear rates. It's a more the the corticosteroids are more of a catabolic agent. Um, I, I think the data for PRP or bone marrow aspirate concentrate is is, is You know there's some basic science work that shows increased tenocyte proliferation and more collagen production but i don't think i at least haven't seen any convincing evidence that it makes a difference clinically now we have patients who um, anecdotally have had good results after prp injections and you know if a patient asks for it uh, we'll consider it it's usually not covered by insurance so it's not something i'm you know pushing in my practice um, because of the challenges that that creates as well
0: so you have kind of an interesting practice because you're it's a obviously a referral practice patients are coming in from all over for surgery how often do you think that people show up in the office and and you end up just counseling them or or doing non-operative treatment if they've if they've come for surgery
1: yeah, I think uh, our practice is unique. I do have a lot of patients who come from out of state. We've you know, pre-screened them and in many ways. They've been told that they need surgery and they've sent their imaging studies in for us to review ahead of time. So they, they come with an expectation for surgery. Um, but I also see patients from the community that you know, have uh, these types of problems. And frequently for this type of problem, I will recommend the trial of conservative treatment. I, it's rare that I would operate on a partial thickness tear without a trial of conservative treatment maybe in an athlete there was a an NFL football player uh, last year that had a high-grade partial thickness acute tear that we ended up fixing because of timing issues where it was the end of the season and it just made sense but in most cases um, I would treat these conservatively for a period of time and follow them Um, if they if their symptoms get worse or um, they have uh, deterioration in their function then I think you should probably Look at re-imaging them or intervening with surgery.
0: It's always hard for me in the office to tell people what the natural history of partial cuff tears is. You know, people want to know: do they heal? Will they get better? What do you What do you tell people when they ask those kind of questions?
1: I tell them that they'll rarely heal, uh, and uh, but some of them become asymptomatic. Um, some of the the asymptomatic ones may become symptomatic. We know that from some of the natural history study that's been done at Washu with Ken Yamaguchi About fifty percent of them that are asymptomatic within two years will become symptomatic. So the, the natural history is, is not is not favorable. Um, but we also know that there's probably little downside to waiting in these types of tears because the, the tendon is not retracted, so you don't get the same issues with fatty infiltration and the the irreversible changes that occur with a retracted rotator cuff tear.
0: So, what do you do for monitoring these days? If, if you've got a local patient that you're treating conservatively, do you bring them back in a year for an MRI if they're doing well? Do you tell them to just monitor it by symptoms?
1: Yeah, if, if it's a small, you know, partial thickness tear, I usually monitor it by symptoms. If it's a full thickness tear that you know there's a, there's patients that want to that I may recommend surgery but for whatever reason they they don't want to undergo surgery I'll, I'll usually recommend a follow-up MRI in four to six months to see if it's progressing or not if it's progressed then I'll usually rec you know that I'll usually recommend surgery at that point the patient then will also see the progression and usually they'll end up electing to, to proceed with surgery now, this is for an otherwise healthy patient that doesn't have medical comorbidities, which can confound the, the decision-making. But um, in general, you know, we we watch them closely. Uh, for a partial tear, we usually monitor their symptoms uh, and use that to measure progression.
0: Well, let's get into the 2018 study. I, I thought it was a great study. It's minimum five-year follow-up. What do you think the key takeaways from that study were?
1: One of the questions that I had when I initiated that study was, how do they do um, clinically over the long term? Do they get re or not? Um, we had been concerned historically because some of the patients developed stiffness. Um, and I just wanted to kind of know how they did in the long term. And so we looked at my patients that were followed for at least five years minimum. And the, the results were pretty interesting. Um, there were no revision surgeries, so re seemed to be uncommon, at least at a minimum of five years. Um, and the results were, were pretty good as far as their outcome scores. Return to sport was not as good as we had hoped. Um, it was pretty good. It was around 75 or 80 percent, but it wasn't as good as we would have would have hoped. And that's consistent with some of the earlier studies, which which have uh, looked at these partial thickness tears, um, particularly in overhead athletes, and shown that they don't always get back to uh, sports when you, when you repair them.
0: And these, these patients were treated between 2007 and 2011, so we're quite a ways away from that. Anything change in your management from a technical standpoint since that time?
1: Since then, the, the, the only thing that we're adding is um, we're doing – more uh, use of prp and biologics otherwise i don't think the technique has changed dramatically i have gone more to a little bit more towards uh, completing the tear and repairing it as opposed to doing in in situ repairs particularly for the articular sided tears um, i had another cohort where i uh, which was larger which was only two year follow-up where i looked at um, my patients who had partial thickness tears and I looked at bursal sided versus articular sided and then I looked at tears that were completed uh, and the the completed tears had actually had slightly better functional outcomes um, than the ones that were repaired in situ so if the if the remaining tissue doesn't look looks damaged you've lost the normal collagen fibril pattern um, or it looks like there's significant generation from yellow discoloration in the tissue or, or there's broken fibers, uh, then I just will complete it and repair it.
0: Yeah, most of them were in situ in this study. It was 80, 85%. So you think you're probably doing more completion and, and repairs of full thickness tear these days?
1: I, I think I am, yes. That's probably what, it, you know, if there's any difference, there's, there's not major differences in the technique, but probably complete a few more now than I did then.
0: Do you think it's technically easier for, let's say, the casual shoulder surgeon or a generalist to complete and repair than to do an inside you partial repair of a of a of an articular sided tear?
1: I would say it's it's more it's probably easier. The only thing is you just have to be careful that when you're completing it that you do a uh, a good job and you preserve as much of the normal tendon as you can, so you don't excessively shorten it and you. you you know, take it off from the insertion on the footprint, not medially in the tendon. Um, You know from working in the lab that sometimes creating rotator cuff tears is more difficult than actually taking them down. So uh, one of the things I I do is sometimes I'll mark it, I'll put a spinal needle through the tear if it's an articular sided tear and uh, mark it with a PDS suture so that when I go on the bursal side, I can really... Identify exactly where I want to take it down and then I always make sure that I start laterally so that I'm in the at the bone Tendon interface laterally when I start to peel the tendon off
0: In in the editorial commentary that came out this year on long-term follow-up for these operations the issue of the biceps came up in that and um, I just wanted to get your you know get your thoughts on treatment of the biceps in these patients
1: yeah, I've, I probably in this series I did a lot of biceps tenesis. I think almost all the patients had
0: one hundred percent.
1: um I would say what that was that was because of prior past experience when I would do these repairs, particularly when I would do articular sided repairs and I would do posture repairs, and I would have problems with stiffness, and I, I think one of the issues that can happen is you place your anchor near the lateral pulley of the biceps tendon the biceps tendon can look normal and it subsequently becomes entrapped and the biceps need slide about two and a half centimeters uh, with um, with forward flexion Uh, and if it becomes entrapped i think that can lead to persistent pain and um, loss of motion after a posture repair so By the time this series came along, I had already learned that. And sometimes even, I've I've seen it where you have a totally normal tendon and you do a a partial repair and you don't, you put the anchor close to the tendon and then you mobilize the patient or protect the patient for the recovery after the rotator cuff repair. And then the biceps tendon becomes scarred and loses that normal excursion, then it becomes quite painful. And I've had to go back historically and and do some uh, tenodices on those patients So by the time this series came around, I was mostly doing tenodesis, and I would say that I I, I still have a very low threshold for doing a tenodesis. If if it's more posterior, and the the anchors are not going to be anywhere near the biceps, and it looks totally normal, then I'll probably leave it. But if the anchors are going to be placed near the biceps reflection pulley, then then I'll usually do a tenodesis.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great point.
1: I don't know what your experience is.
0: Well, what I like to do, I mean if it's near the pulley, then I like to do a high tenodesis because I'm going to be putting anchors around that area anyway. So then I don't have to make a subpectoral approach. What do you think? What do you think about that?
1: I think that's a great concept because, you know, the, the, um, the biceps is, um, you know, essentially normal. It's just, it's going to be, have be iatrogenically injured by the rotator cuff repair. So I think, for me, that would be one where a proximal tenodesis would make sense. I just dis- historically have done a subpectoral tenodesis, which I think works well uh, in this case as well. But I think either approach would work fine for this type of a situation.
0: So what do you think about a acromioplasty? That was another 100% of patients in this study got, um, got a subacromial decompression. Is that a technical issue? Do you think, I mean, do you think that affects... Um, you know is it to treat pathology what are your thoughts on doing that are you still doing that 100 percent of the time in in these kind of patients
1: i do acromioplasty i I believe in uh, that the acromial index and the critical shoulder angle may play a role in the pathogenesis of rotator cuff tears Um, so i i i look at the, the how lateral the acromion extends and if it extends laterally i'll do a Uh, acromioplasty a a typical acromioplasty will change the critical shoulder angle by up to two degrees and if you have a really big critical shoulder angle or a large lateral extension of the acromion I'll even do a lateral acromioplasty Um, on the bursal side of tears in particular in this too Rob they um, they will frequently have significant scuffing and fraying of the CA ligament and abnormality of the coracoacromial arch. So for me, that's a, clearly an indication to, that there's contact there and to do an acromioplasty. Probably elicit some um, healing elements from the bone of the acromion that may help um, in the biology locally as well.
0: Last question. So interstitial rotator cuff tears. So let's say you've got a patient that has a bad looking MRI, you know, they've got high T2 signal. The the radiologist has read it as a high grade partial, whatever, interstitial articular, um, bursal sided tear. You get to the operating room and you look at the tear on both sides and there's no real fibers that are, that are disrupted for the bone. How are you, how are you managing that kind of situation? Do you run into that very often?
1: I would say that that is probably one of the more challenging things we face. Um, and if you're not careful, you you can get burned and and not and under treat it. Um, uh, typically, those are ones where you have to really carefully examine the patient. I always examine the patients in the office, but then I also examine them before they've had their block preoperatively to get a sense of what their pain level is and where the where the pain is coming from. Is it coming from the rotator cuff, the biceps, the AC joint? Because as you know frequently you can see abnormalities in these areas on the MRI which may or may not have clinical relevance. So, particularly the AC joint, most patients have some degeneration, but most of them are not symptomatic. So I always examine the patient again preoperatively to determine that. And then when I do the scope, I hope that I see a tear so that it makes it easier when I have these interstitial tears, Um, but if I don't, then I have to trust my clinical exam and my uh, MRI and in those cases I'll complete the tear uh and you'll be surprised how significant uh it, a tear that you can have the same is true for even partial thickness tears that are, that are uh that exit on one of the, the either the bursal or the articular surface they can look totally normal from one side and the other side can look severely damaged with high grade delaminations and uh collagen fibril disruption so the same thing occurs on these interstitial tears where there's deep tearing between the the lamina of the rotator cuff and if you if you don't trust your MRI and you just go in and do a debridement and maybe a subacromial decompression the patients frequently will still have pain so I've been burned by that and had to go back on patients who I undertreated and so now I'm, I'm very careful about looking at that and if it's if it looks like it's uh, really damaged on the MRI I'll I'll take it down and then Uh, debride the areas and then put sutures between the lamina and then repair it back to the footprint I usually in those cases if I take it down that extensively I'll use a double row speed bridge type of construct
0: excellent all right very good well thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast Uh, great pearls any closing thoughts on treatment of partial rotator cuff tears
1: I think partial rotator cuff tears are really uh, fun to treat. They sometimes can be more challenging than a full thickness tear because they're not retracted, uh, and you have to have really that confidence in your physical exam and the confidence in your MRI. But the rewarding thing is that the results are very successful uh, when we repair them. Um, I would now tend to err a little bit more on uh, the side of completing the tear and repairing it if if I think there's any uh residual tendinosis in there almost like a tennis elbow type procedure i'll be careful to remove all that and repair it and then the other pearl would just be to uh liberally tenodesis the biceps tendon particularly if you're going to be putting anchors near the lateral pulley of the biceps just to, prov- to avoid that iatrogenic uh, entrapment of the biceps which can cause pain postoperatively.
0: this article from the january 2018 issue of the journal entitled Five-year outcomes after arthroscopic repair of partial thickness supraspinatus tears can be found on the Arthroscopy Journal's website at arthroscopyjournal.org.